temporarily because I was doing these tool poster doodles. Mm. Wait. And um, but yeah, I've got my big printer set up back here. Just nice. barely, barely enough room. Like, yeah, like you know. Uh, oh, we're live. What? It works. What? Oh shit! <laughs> Sorry. And you Fix just it. deleted your post. And I just, still, I just deleted that little section of the post, but it's no big deal. People who know know. We are so, live. So okay, no. finally. Yes. Holy smokes! Yay! Uh, take a second. Yay! Let me but test the volume. No <laughs> test, test, test. Testing one, two. So, okay, finally. Hi there. Test, test. Yay. Take a second. Testicles. I'm just trying to see if there's volume on our uh, check, on check, the YouTube. Check, check, YouTube check. Link. Do, 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 do. Do, do, do. I can, I can post something that says we're live. Yeah, we are yeah, live. Yeah, I'm gonna. Okay, I'm gonna, cool. I'm gonna go back in there and fucking. I think it's like... you. It's it's at uh, man, what is the what is the URL? But yeah, there is somebody here. I think you could just tell people it's YouTube.com/slash Giant Robot Magazine. That that seems to work. Okay. okay. But eventually we'll get our own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I have set yeah. that up, Eric. Well, okay, I, let's do I, it. I what is it? YouTube dot what? YouTube.com slash giant robot magazine and they'll find the stream there. Okay, YouTube. Because there's other people here already. All right. Nice. What? Okay. So okay, last last week we had a problem with our uh, stream, so we had to do it uh recorded and then uploaded. But uh this time, giant robot, robot and the bear, we're all here. Yes. And uh, what's episode guest? number yeah, so Chetzar episode hey. 63. Yes. Uh, sorry, we're, we're kind of a messy um, because uh, we're now resharing the social media because we thought we were going to uh, record this and then put it up, but we are actually live right now. So, very nice. So, Chetzar, uh, num uh, episode number 63, he is a longtime friend of mine and yeah. he artist extraordinaire. If you're not familiar with his work, I feel it is very October appropriate. And, oh, wow. <laughs> and um, <laughs> he also has a podcast, the Dark Art Society, which is the reason why his sound is going to be fantastic. He's got the gear. Yes. <laughs> and um, he just, uh, Chet, he just had a show open up um, that you curated uh, called the Dark Art Society at Copro Gallery. Yeah. Uh, uh, how's it going? Oh, it's going good. It's going good. Um... You know, it's weird having a show during during a pandemic, but um, you know, people showed up and and people buy artwork online anyway nowadays. So, mm -hmm. you I know, know. I, I actually had to wait in line to get into that show. I didn't even go. <laughs> 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 My wife's like, "No, you shouldn't go." She's, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm I'm a little older, a little overweight, a little mm -hmm. bit of a smoker. I'm kind of like mm -hmm. a high, higher risk guy. So I'm just like, you know what? I also had like a, this other huge deadline um, I had to get done. So it's like it all just kind of amounted to me not going. But I heard it was Meanwhile, <laughs> I, who am in a similar situation, now exhaling a cloud of, you know, nicotine vapor, did go. <laughs> you, like to, you, you like to live on the edge. <laughs> so, um, Chet, like, you and I have known each other since 2003 or 2004. Yeah. Um, we, you know, um, uh, I, when I first met you, you were known as the guy who did the tool freaking stop motion video or right. someone who worked yep. on that. Um, <laughs> let, 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 let's start, let's start there. Like, okay. 
you you did work on the tool stop motion you know that that one super famous one that like no, everyone like i i didn't work on the super famous one the first i think the first one the one the first one is that one that's like really brothers quay like mm -hmm. you know the brothers quay the stop motion mm -hmm. dudes it's it's a lot it's it, it's looks similar to that and that's the one that uh that's the song sober i think that's the big hit they first had right and then they did another one called prison sex which is really awesome and i didn't work on that one either <laughs> but, <laughs> but the third one there's a third one called stink fist off the next album which was like another kind of hit for them um i came in to just do like a couple days helping my friend Cam DeLeon out, who also was kind of showing when we started showing at Cannibal Flower way back when. Yeah, Cam. Yeah, and, and so I was helping him do body painting and I did like one last minute effect um, of this tumor thing on this guy's back and I did some makeup application. Then after that, mm -hmm. the video for the song Anima, I did, I, I keyed the effects crew. Like I did hmm. all the effects and the puppets. I didn't do the animating. And, and then the one after that, which is was called Schism, which was like the biggest budget tool video, I think, of them all. And it was just a lot of physical effects, some stop motion animation. Mm -hmm. I did all the, me and my crew did all the effects for that. And, and I also did like live, uh, 3D animation for their live shows that they, I think oh, they wow. still use them to this day, like projections. Mm -hmm. But it's wow. all from, you know, around that time. It was like late 90s, I think. When I started working with them and when we started, you know, showing together and, you know, the five year period, maybe five to seven wow. year period. So you're doing a lot of like industry kind of stuff, uh, FX work. Um, yeah, yeah. Pri yeah. Prior to, to showing, I was, I started working in the makeup effects field, doing, you know, sculpting and painting creatures and makeups and stuff like that like when I was 19 or something, like a year mm. out of high school. <clears throat> and then I did that for, until I was able to escape and become a fine artist yeah, <laughs> in yeah. like 2000. I don't know, Land of the Lost was the last like official movie I worked on in 2013, maybe. Wow. Yeah, I but I was- They did a Land of the Lost movie. Yeah, that's, remake. that's up the Slee Stacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I worked, Slee Stacks. I worked on the Slee Stacks a little bit. Um, did some designs for them, but uh, I I made the decision to, to, to become a fine artist in 2000. Mm. And then I started teaching myself to paint, you know, and I started showing, you know, when we started showing, but I mean, I already kind of, I had a background in art and drawing and sculpture from the makeup effects business. Mm -hmm. And then I just, Wait, oh. I'm sorry, then I just tried to work my way out of the business once I did, made that decision <laughs> and it took me, you know, I don't know how many years, 10 years or something. So I was like working in the day and then painting and night and weekends. How do you get from uh, being like 18 years old or 19 and then getting in that business? That doesn't sound, that sounds like a young entry into this. Yeah. yeah. I, um, you know, I got the bug when I was like 12 years old, I started getting in. I was kind of a nerdy kid. I was really into art and really into, you know, movie making and, and kind of nerdy stuff like that. And, um, I saw, I remember in 1978, I saw Dawn of the Dead, the original one, and I had all these gore effects and I was just like, I gotta know how to do this. I gotta know how they did that. It was just, it was so shocking to me. And then I saw The Howling in like 1980 or 81. And that 
that werewolf transformation was just like, oh, this is it. This is what I want to do. I have to do this. Because I was like a big monster geek also, you know? So it's like, I want to make monsters. So I basically started getting books, going to the library back in the day when you went to the library, there was no internet and you, you know, wrote letters to people and shit. Um, so I just started kind of teaching myself through any books or magazines I could find and basically built a portfolio up through high school because I knew that I wanted to get into business. So, you know, wow. yeah, I was That's crazy. I was driven. From so you were doing practical effects stuff while you're in high school, like, mm -hmm. like special effects, like blood effects, mm -hmm. and wound effects and stuff like that. And yeah. It just took that portfolio with you and into the, the entertainment industry. And they're like, oh, this kid's got something. Yeah, but pretty much. I, I, um, I, I took one of the things I did after I got out of high school, I, I kind of bummed around for a year. I was really shy. So I was shy about going and showing my portfolio around. So um, I took, uh, my dad gave me the money to take this Dick Smith makeup effects correspondence course, which is kind of like still the, 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 uh, the, the foundational makeup effects text. You could still take it. It's got like Dick Smith was like the, the godfather of makeup effects. They called him. He did the exorcist and, Dustin Hoffman, old age makeup and little big man and taxi driver and the Godfather. And he's just like Amadeus, the old age of makeups and Amadeus and wow. stuff. So um, he was like the guy who invented all these techniques. So um, I took the course and I was connected, you know, through letters and, and phone calls through different students. And we would like write back and show each other pictures and stuff. Cause it was like, you know, there, it was a small community back then. Um, and this one guy, Toby Sells, who I met, he came out to LA and he wanted me to drive him around to show his portfolio because he was trying to break into the business. So I drove him around to some shops. He, he had all the addresses and he was showing his book. So I would show my book. And then eventually, out of one of those, I got hired by a guy named Tony Gardner. And um, <clears throat> he hired me to like do molds and stuff for him to kind of be his, his assistant. And then he landed... Uh, the blob the remake of the blob which is a big effects show and that was kind of my first big effects movie and then we did like dark man after that and wow swamp, swamp thing cable series and he started a shop from that army of mm. darkness a lot of uh, adam's family and stuff a lot of cool movies. army of darkness yeah classic it's a great movie <laughs> that, is, that, that is definitely one of my favorite sam raimi films of yeah all time still yeah me too you know, so definitely and awesome you and then you started so when did you start like you know like painting with the intention of moving toward being a, a studio artist well i you know i always dabbled throughout my whole life you know i was always drawing drawing was always no matter what art i was doing effects i was drawing so i, I you know i had a good command of the pencil and I was airbrushing, so I, I and, and and I was painting masks and stuff like that. So I was, you know, kind of painting a little bit and doing like little paintings here and there, just dabbling. And I got a job at Rick Baker's. You know, Rick Baker. He's like, yep. He's like the nine, you know, nine Academy Award. Winner. Also, yeah, I was gonna say legendary. Yeah, he's like. But kind of, I don't. I don't know how old he is though. How old is Rick? Is probably okay. Uh, Rick is like late 60s he, maybe okay yeah I, I can't you know like i've heard his name for so long i'm like either he's a hundred or he, 
or he started really young, like and he's he like forty five or something. You know, he, I, I have he, no idea. He started pretty young. Like he worked yeah. on The Exorcist, helping Dick Smith out. Wow. When he was like sixteen or something, or fifteen or something like that. Uh, wow. So so anyway, I got a job there, um, and I started working with a guy named Mitch Devane. This is kind of how it all started, and. Um, Mitch is like the best sculptor in the business. He's just amazing. He just re recently retired, but he's very bitter about the industry. He was really bitter, you know, and, and he would always, he's really funny too. And he would always kind of joke about how fucked up the artists and the effects industry have it. And he was constantly pointing out, you know, all this, the way that artists were disrespected in the, in the business and you know, I was like, you know, he's kind of right about this. It's like, we're always, you know, our, our, our work gets de designed by committee. We're all passionate about it. And then they, you know, make us make things look kind of crappy uh, and appeal to the most people and, you know, no artistic vision. You don't get to put your uh, thing in. Working for the man. Yeah, That's exactly. Right working there. for the man, that sort of yep. thing. Yeah. Your work getting cut out of the movie after you spent six months on it. And it's probably the best part, like, Amazing right. work. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and like pouring your heart and soul into something and having the movie suck. That's, yeah, another, the you know, the movie's just <laughs> bad. Was Land of the Lost like that? I, you know, and I never saw it. I never saw okay. it. <laughs> I stopped watching him after a certain point, unless it was like a Guillermo del Toro or something movie. But um, so around that time, I started kind of getting feeling that way too. Like, oh man, this is not really. You know, this is not, I, I don't know. I just felt like I kind of, I got to be a sculptor at Rick Baker's and a, a creature designer. It's like, you can't really go any higher than that with doing what I do. So it's like, okay, I've reached that point. And it, it's kind of like the same thing over and over at this point. You know, this is 15 years in or so. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> so I just, you know, around that time I was, I was getting into Juxtapose magazine and I was, I discovered Mark Ryden mm -hmm. and, um, you know, Robert Williams and, and uh, of course, you know, Giger and Frazetta and all these guys from way back. But, but I was like, Brahm is another one, uh, Chris Mars. And I was like, you know, these guys are kind of doing sort of what I would like to do as a fine artist. Oh, one other important element. I was, uh, uh, when I was thinking about leaving effects, I got, I was into digital effects at that, around that time. I started dabbling and teaching myself 3D animation, yeah. stuff that Tool ended up using. Uh, some of that stuff was like from my demo reel, just mm -hmm. weird, weird looping animations I made. So I had a contact with Clive Barker because we were at the company I was working with was going to do a toy line with him. Mm -hmm. And so I had his phone number. <laughs> so I'm like, maybe Clive Barker, I've got, I want to start a digital, a little digital studio, do a digital effects. Maybe Clive Barker will give me a job. And this is before I really started, you know, considering fine art. Mm -hmm. So I sent him my videotape, my VHS tape. And, um, <laughs> and I called him and he said, yeah, I saw your tape. He remembered me, you know, he was a really nice guy. Cause we, you know, we had meetings and stuff. He said, um, I don't have any work for you, but you really should think about being a fine artist because you have a vision. I can see with just this demo reel that you have a, a particular vision. Wow. And, um, I was like, wow, you know, Clive Barker was one of my heroes. Uh, I was read all his books and everything. And so, you know, I really started thinking about it then. And that was all around the time when I was, like I said, I was reading the, you know, Mark Ride, discovering Mark Ride and all these juxtaposed artists. And all those guys, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, yeah. so that was then, you know, that was around 2000. I was working on Planet of the Apes. Um, 
the the for, you know the Tim Burton the really dumb one that was a good example of this huge budget movie with the effects are amazing and the movie was totally stupid but um <clears throat> so I was working working on that and I was in the makeup effects trailer on set and and they were doing like fight scenes in the in the desert and they would bring back these chimp and gorilla gloves and that were all torn up that I had to repair. So I just sit in, in this trailer for like 12 hours a day. And then every four hours, they would bring me five pairs of gloves and I'd have to paint them up so they look nice again. And then I give them back. It was just super boring. And I had this pad of paper there and a bunch of acrylic paints that I was repairing these gloves with. And I was like, you know, maybe I'll try and make a little painting. And if I could do a painting here, then maybe I could be a painter. Cause I was originally thinking of being like a fine art sculptor. Mm, wow. you know? Cause that's what was my, my uh, background in effects. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I did this little painting and it, and it looked good, you know? And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to try and be a painter. And then, then I found out about cannibal flower from someone at Rick Baker's also yeah. and started showing there and just kept doing it, kept pursuing it. Wow. Cool. So, <laughs> you can credit Clive Barker as for your art career, kind of, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. That's weird, right? Like, totally. Who would you credit, Luke? Do you have someone you can credit, like, like a person that just said, "Luke, what are you doing? You should be," you know. And it's if you if it is, it's probably not Clive Barker, right? It is <laughs> definitely not Clive yeah. Barker. You know, it's funny when you mentioned Stephen like King. Barker, uh, yeah, I know. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Stephen King told me I should be an artist. <laughs> uh, actually, no. I mean, all I have is my my college professors. But like, you know, it's funny. I, I was I was just you know when you mentioned Clive Barker, I always reflect back. Um, there used to be an art gallery in South Coast Plaza. Um, and I remember going there in the 90s and seeing like the Clive Barker and Robert Williams show oh, uh, wow. that was there. And like, I like it was, it, uh, and I, you know, never even thought too much about it because like I, you know, you know, didn't really ever have like, I didn't have like artistic aspirations in the 90s mm -hmm. just because it seems so daunting. Like, right. You know, yeah. Like, um, as a uh, another artist who doesn't have like a, a fancy art school background, you know, like, right. you, you when you think of like you know working studio artists, it's just it's, it just seems like so like far removed from a world of possibility, you know. And yep. um, you know, but like you know, L.A. is kind of a, a unique city in that sense because you know you don't need like fancy degrees and fancy educations to be able, as long as you have a vision and uh, the talent or the perseverance to make right. it happen, you know, you can make it happen. Um, yeah. All the resources are there if you're willing to do the work, you know? Right. I, mean, I don't know so much about now, but like, you right. know, at least, uh, <laughs> in, but in 2000 and in, in the early 2000s, it was, you know, so uh, really there and like, um, actually, like, you know, you're, you know, you mentioned um, Cannibal Flower and like LC, the uh, founder of Cannibal Flower, um, which has now like since like, you know, folded is um, like, like I credit him with everything for, oh, like, you, me know, too. you know, giving me, uh, helping my career get started and, yep. you know, creating I think a menu. He yeah i think he did that for us both around the same time he was kind of the first yeah. guy to really show us yeah yeah absolutely well, he's, the, he's the man he is he, and i mean he is 
uh, he helps run uh, ThinkSpace Gallery, and he has a, a bar. I, I'm not sure whether it's open now during the pandemic called Art Bar, I think. And like, oh Bennett. yeah, that's right. It's in Mar Vista. Is it Mar Vista? Yeah, I've driven by it a bunch of times, but I haven't. I, I haven't seen it. I don't know if it's open. Yeah, I don't know either. Yeah. Um, I you know so, but but like it's um, you know it's it's. You know the the way things have like you know I I you know I feel I I was yeah I feel so fortunate to have like I you know and I'm sure you just you know, say the same thing to have come in when we came in because mm -hmm. you know it like it 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 moves quick it moves quick when people when you when you get some people and some people uh, some attention and um but yeah um, you blew up you blew up before I I got you know I've had a slower I think a slower steadier climb you just kind of went boom I, I i don't know at one point but you just like shot past everybody and you were like, <laughs> like selling out every show like i, I haven't do this <laughs> i only i only sold the show out probably for the first time maybe like a couple years ago like i was always like half i would sell half or three quarters maybe if i was lucky and, and now that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm like, but all those, that's all great. That's all great as it is. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. If you're great. selling anything, man, you're, mm -hmm. you're doing all right. If you're selling yeah. one thing and you're doing all right. But remember, Plus you guys came in at a, you guys came in at a, what is it before the economic, like a downturn of economics, right? Like the 2008. So you guys came yeah. in at a great time probably. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. I had built up my fan base pretty well online um, to, you know, as I was building my career, I was really focusing hard MySpace on, you know, MySpace. <laughs> I had my 30,000 people on there. I was wow. like, yeah, I was like really working it. Yep. And um, I mean, I remember when the, the crash came, it, it barely, I barely felt it. Like I had enough of a fan base that they were sustaining wow. me. Yeah. It was like, I thought for sure it was going to be a hell, but it was like, it, it was, it, that's the importance of having a, a you know, being, being good to your fans and appreciating them and, and taking care of them and because they'll be there for you. Oh, uh, I, I always kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm always uh, stupefied by artists who treat their fans like complete shit. I know it's crazy. It's like, um, you know, like they're the reason why you have a fucking career, dude. Wait, <laughs> Robot in the Bear podcast. Who does that? <laughs> Name names. Come on. Come on, come on, Luke. Um, <laughs> let me think. There, Actually, I, well, I wouldn't. Okay. I'm not um, um, I, 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 I don't no, know. I know it's I, kind of part of his facade, but like, oh. like Sucklord is. Yeah. Uh, oh. He can be like this brutal. Yeah. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah. You know? But God, that's kind of what you like about him in a way, right? I think. Yeah, so, I think that's part of his. But his there must be though. some that are. There must be some that do it by accident because they sort of oh, i'm guilty of that i'm definitely oh, really? guilty i mean like I, oh well that's because you forget everybody's names oh I, of course i mean i forget it. you're I just like uh, uh, oh like, oh uh, yeah you're the one that does paintings oh that's not you oh <laughs> oh you work at mcdonald's oh you work oh. at mcdonald's not oh yeah i got you mixed up with someone yeah i don't know i <laughs> Well, but no, but like, I mean, which, like, which I, is I've fine been, too. I've been accused of, of being like, you know, a jackass and, you know, really? and that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But like, you know, I was also like on drugs for a good uh, chunk of that time too. But that's a, that's, that's a, a good excuse. That's a good yeah. Actually, <laughs> I think that chunk where you were, where you were on drugs, I guess you were always super nice to me, but I was yeah, scared. Same here. Right. But I was always scared. I was like, oh, I didn't even know he was up. on drugs. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> 
I just thought he was a cool dude. <laughs> yeah, you're oh, always super nice. You know, I I, I I I always tried to be nice, but apparently you can't please everybody. Yeah. You know, so nice. you know, like I'm happy. But like it's um so like like you know when did so you know you've you've been hustling consistently and you know you've built up you know quite a, a career for yourself you're like you know your yourself seems to regularly sell um uh, like it like there i i hate like there i you were one of the small handful of art uh, artists who sold at the uh um the show you curate, curated mm-hmm. um but like when did you start building this like podcast in society uh that's a good question when was that i think it was i think it's been like three years we're mm-hmm. up to like 180 the last episode is episode 180 wow yeah it's Damn. been going like one week i only i missed this week i missed the week before and i missed i think two other times but it's been every week for since for like the last three years Wow, and uh, that was started by me and this guy Mike Carell, who directed this documentary about me called Chet Czar Like to Paint Monsters, which you can get on iTunes or you can get on my website. Um, that's a DVD. It, it really came out really well. It's a really really good documentary, and um, he was make started making a documentary about me. We kickstarted it and all that stuff, and um, as the documentary was being made, we noticed that really it was more about this whole kind of dark art movement that's happening and less about me. I mean, it's kind of focused on me, but it goes more into this movement of this kind of dark, dark art scene that's happening. It's very underground thing that a lot of people are into. And so, um, I don't know. I just had this idea. It's like, we should do a podcast to, you know, that centers around this because we don't really have, there's a lot of people that are into monsters and Gothic culture and dark art and, and creepy stuff and but they're not there's nothing to like galvanize them there's not really you know now there's a few galleries popping up where, where you know copros kind of become more dark art and there's dark art emporium and hyena gallery and last rights although they just closed but um oh last rights closed yeah i think so oh. i think they did yeah it's a bummer oh. um but uh so it's so it just seemed like a podcast would be a good way to just have some kind of home base to try and galvanize people and start this little i don't know just this identify this thing that's happening and try and cultivate it and Mm -hmm. so um i started out with me and me and mike doing it and we would talk mostly just talk shit and talk about things and talk about dark art and things we're interested in and then he ended up uh leaving and going on the road and living he lives with his in an RV with his wife going all over the country now. Oh, wow. And so he had to leave the podcast. And then when he left, I was like, okay, I can't talk by myself. You know, I can barely talk with another person. (laughs) (laughs) So I just started interviewing artists that I liked and uh, Luke's been on it. I've been on it. And, uh, um, and, and so I just kept doing it and people liked it. I think even better with the artist interviews. So I just kept basically, you know, every week I interview a new, artist that's you know in the dark on the dark side of things but not always sometimes it's just you know artists in general but um we kind of tailor it towards people that are into that sort of thing and people like it i think you know uh, one of the podcasts that you episodes that you had mentioned that i have not yet checked out because um i'm bad at 
checking podcasts sometimes. Yeah, me too. Is the <laughs> <laughs> I never listen to our podcast. I can't stand listening to my own voice. Uh, same, same, same. Like, um, I check it out once in a while just and realize just how terrible I am and uh, <laughs> at it and how I can I, relate. But, I can relate. Uh, but yeah, you had met there. There was a particularly interesting episode that you had mentioned about social media and um like cultivating your and building up your following and mm -hmm. like how, how to use the algorithm and stuff like that and apparently you had spoken to someone who was really good at it and like you know like have you i mean like what have you since like brought him back or like have things changed um because that was yeah yeah yes yes and yes um I got to find what episode it is so I can let people know, but it's like our most popular episode, I think. Oh, wow. Um, and that, how long ago was that? Um, it was like a year oh, and a half you said ago. Three. So that means that our algorithm still might be like uh, being used because they yeah. change those things, don't I they? Thing. Yeah. It does change, but I think his, his, his uh, principles in general are good. His name is, uh, goes by the name of Josh G. He, um, Episode 167 is the part two of his take on social media where he gives kind of more advice. And I think it is, let me see what the first one is. I'll 167 find it. is part two. Okay. Yeah. And part one is I'll find it when I'm talking, but um, he, yeah, he gives really great advice about just general rules of thumb uh, about how to take advantage of the algorithm. And, and actually he brought up a, a lot of good points. Hey, there's Luke Chu episode 137. Woo. Um, he brought up a lot of good points about why they need an algorithm. Like we're used to seeing it as this terrible, evil thing that sucks and ruined, ruined it. But he was kind of making the point that there's so many people on there that they have to find a way to filter it all or it wouldn't work. It would just be backed up with uh, sequential posts and then they would become completely out of date because you're following so many people. So it's like, you know, gave me a little more sympathy for the, the algorithm thing, but, um, okay. It's episode 110. So 110 and 167. Yeah. At the yeah. dark art society podcast. Yeah. And right. it's really got great advice. Um, it's, it's a lot of kind of basic principles, but, um, uh, I was stuck for, I think a year or two at like 107,000 people, which is a lot, you know, it's a lot. It's tons. It's, yeah. it's, it's organic. It was organic and stuff, but um, I started using his principles and I, I got up to a hundred and I'm up to 120,000. Now you're actually at 140,000 right now. No, <laughs> <laughs> I think. thanks, I think, thanks, thanks to this podcast. I hope right so. Now. That would be nice. That would be nice. I, I think that's what I saw. Um, let me see. Thanks to this podcast. It's oh, 120. Really, sorry. I'm, yeah. It's blown up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm, I'm here. If you, if you want to follow me, everyone. <laughs> but um yeah it, i haven't been really focusing on it now because i've been i actually started a patreon and i'm trying to just get people over to patreon rather mm -hmm. than you know do this i'm not doing the social media as much because it's like you know i'd rather have the real people willing to pay one dollar one dollar a month twelve dollars a year it's like it does it's it just the people that are willing to pay a dollar are like people that are really into your stuff. They're not casual viewers. Casual viewers not going to pay a buck. So, so how are you, how are you using Patreon? Is it for the podcast? I've or got yeah, I've got one for the podcast. That's pays for the podcast. It's a Dark Art Society uh, 
Patreon, patreon.com slash dark art society. Then I got my personal one, which is um, kind of my main one. Um, dark art society, the Patreon, you get the podcast like a day early and we do like oh. supplementary images and stuff from the artists who are on. And mine, I've got like all these levels of time lapses, time lapse videos. And I got like, you know, $10 a month level where I do tutorial and, and I've got higher levels for collectors. You get percent, you know, 20% off their purchases. Out of what's what's the hot, what's the highest? There must be one. The is there an outlier who's just a, <laughs> the hundred dollar mentorship tier where I do a monthly Skype meeting one on, on only fans. Uh, no. I'm <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like for younger artists who are trying to develop their skills or want to, you know, trying to make it in the art world. I, I meet with them one-on-one wow. and I give them feedback and it's like we text back and forth and they can send me pictures of what they're working on and stuff. So Whoa. it's been really cool to see the, um, well, how many people, like how many number, uh, uh, how, uh, cause I'm, there's a limit to how many people you can take at that level because you don't want to be bogged down by yeah like, yeah you know, i've got it at like 10 i think i think 10 is the most i can do i don't even know how many i've had a few people drop off they do it for a couple months and then they drop off and you know it's like it's fluctuating all the time i'm sure mm-hmm. i got like seven or something maybe right now on there yeah because I've, 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 I've looked at the the patreon model and i'm like and i think to myself like that's um like that's a lot of responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, took me, it took me a year. It took me a year to be convinced to do it. Like at first I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. This is not, this is, doesn't seem right for me. Mm. And then I, you know, for some reason I started following a few mm. and I, Oh, I know what it was. I talked to Pete Morbacher, Pete Morbacher, who's a fantasy artist. He was making like 8,000 a month. I was like, oh shit, 8,000 a month is a lot of money. Yeah, it is. So I'm like, yeah. and he was like a big evangelist for Patreon. He was really into it. So he kind of was like talking it up to me. I had him on the podcast mm-hmm. and he was, you know, like, you really should do it. And he got me all pumped about it. So I was like, all right, so I'm going to follow some people, subscribe to a few people. And I just mm-hmm. love the idea, you know, of just throwing mm-hmm. your friends a buck, two bucks, yeah. three bucks, five bucks. Mm-hmm. and uh supporting them that way um and and i like uh i don't know i i, I used to post that i would post everything on instagram like everything i was working on just because it was like a, almost like a diary a visual diary of what i was working on right and it was content for people it was promoting me but i would post stuff once in a while like a painting and then the next day I would post a painting where I did a little more progress and the next one, the next day a little more. And I have people be like, why are you posting the same painting? You know, just being like <laughs> assholes. It's like, there's oh. change, you know? And, it, and then I realized, you know, these are casual viewers. They're not huge fans. It's like the, the, the real fans want to see the incremental changes and they're willing to pay a buck. Um, and so now on my Instagram, I just do like finished pieces, which is, what people wanted to see all along on there anyway. They really want to see just like finished pieces of artwork. Yeah. Save all like the in progress stuff for the Patreon. Right on. Yeah. Uh, You like, I've always seen Patreon as a, um, a model for YouTubers, (laughs) you know? And so like, I, I, it's for, but it's more, more artists are coming, going on. Like Christopher Ulrich got one. Um, 
a bunch of people I know are uh, David Stupakis is on there. Um, all kinds of different people though. It's not, it's like, it was started by a guy who was, uh, had a band and he was making money with his band on YouTube, doing YouTube videos. And then they changed whatever they did in the algorithm. And then all of a sudden nobody was making any money, something to do with the ads and the algorithm. I think they were making, they would make like a thousand bucks every time they would post a new video. And then, it, then it would just went to zero. Wow. And so he started this platform as a way to like, you know, this is bullshit. So he started this platform and, and it bypasses all of the advertising and stuff. It's like, you're going directly to the people who care about the creators, what you're doing. Yeah. yeah the creators yeah. and paying them directly and you're giving them the work directly. And it's also, you know, there's none of the algorithm shenanigans or selling your data or any of that shit. Cause it's like, there's no need for it. Cause it's not a, a an advertising model. It's not a, isn't, isn't there a competitor to it? Um, I other, there I is. Mean, and I'm not talking about like Kickstarter, but I feel like there's other ones. Um, I, I, there is. I heard, I, yeah. I don't know the name though. The Dr Kickstarter was doing one called Drip actually. Oh, okay. And that failed, I think. I don't know. I heard someone. Yeah, I heard someone refer to one that's the OnlyFans that's not naked stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like right. There's a, there's a non like a like an OnlyFans, but it's got a different name and it's for artists and yeah. artists and whatnot. It's, I heard about it too. I don't remember. Yeah. That. It's an it's like app, it's kind of an app, you know. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. The only but, thing yeah. about it is that it's not a discovery platform, so you have to bring your people to it. You have they're like a hosting platform. It's oh, the, but then that's, those are people that really want to be there for you. Then yeah, you know? so you have to yeah. go. It's like you have to go to your social media and be like, okay, come on, come over here, and then you got to convince them to pay at least a dollar or two dollars or whatever your minimum is, and um, and get them over there because. People, a lot of people start a Patreon and then they just kind of sit there and wait for people to find them. And you can't find anybody on there. It's not like that. It's not like wow. YouTube. It's like you're you're kind of required to bring your audience with you. It's really mm -hmm. just a place to host it. So right on. Yeah. So how 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 like you know but you uh, guys should have one. You you guys should have a Patreon for your podcast. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's okay. let's work on that, Eric. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, just, I was like, okay. I'm sold. I'm like, okay. Yeah. yeah no. Hey. I, I, like, as soon as you you mentioned like what like the model that you were working on, suddenly suddenly like ideas like, oh, I could offer this. Oh, I. Oh, could, totally. And you know. the other thing is, I I did it. You know, I because I have such little time because I'm I'm so busy trying to do all this stuff. I don't. Um, at this point, I'm not really offering physical rewards. It's all like. Uh, digital stuff it's like videos or images you know i have a yeah, that then you don't have to ship anything it's yeah i mean weird. i'm set up to ship because i have a whole business but i i for, i'm i figured i would slowly work that in as i got used to it and and stuff but i haven't really done that yet because i haven't had the time but um, you could start the thing is you can start um you know very simply like for example for your podcast you could be like you know you could if the very basic you could say Here's a tip jar. You can pay anything you want, a dollar or more, just to help support this podcast and keep it going. And you'll be surprised at how many people just like the podcast and want want to support you. They're happy to give you a buck a month. Mm -hmm. You know, it's nothing, but enough people do it. You've got like over two hundred thousand people on your Instagram. It's like if you get like half a percent of those, you'd be doing all right. Well, we don't have that many people on Instagram. <laughs> you don't? <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, you know, I thought you had. No. <laughs> no. I think you went to the wrong podcast. <laughs> you don't be disappointed. Oh, 286. <laughs> I thought it was 286,000. Oh, you saw a K? Uh, the K, uh, the K uh, fell off. 
<laughs> no, oh, anyway, I'm actually, though, Luke's I thought, Luke, I thought we were like 20. Giant <laughs> Robot and Luke, you guys got, you know, you guys got enough followers to promote it and get enough, you know. Yeah, I, I need to get in the habit of sharing the podcast on my personal. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I, I, I think both Eric and I kind of have this, like, the podcast is his own thing, and this is our thing. And, you know, like, right. you know. One- and Luke, Luke said that when we had 40 episodes that this bag of money was going to fall in from the sky, <laughs> but no, we've been, it, it hasn't happened yet. They say if you get past 40 that you'll... Most po- podcasts fail if they don't make it to forty or something. Okay, like so we're at sixty something, but the yeah. bag we're waiting for the bag of money. Yeah. Like I keep looking outside, yeah, and yeah. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm still, the helicopter hasn't come in yet. I'm I, I'm still waiting for like you know Squarespace and um, what other like famous like you know <laughs> uh, like things that like advertise on podcasts. You know to just come right. knock at oh. the door. And yeah, go, but that's yeah, the thing section, with, yeah. with Patreon. You don't need the advertisers if you you know if you get enough people. Yeah. Like I've got we've got like seven hundred bucks a month coming in for the Dark Art Society podcast, and it's like wow, that's, a, that's enough to you know make it worth the time it, it takes to do it and host a website and wow, and, you know awesome. it's like you know it's cool, it's great. And you guys, we're, 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 we're going to, when I go to the West Side tomorrow, we'll definitely we'll we'll, we'll talk about this, okay. <laughs> or, or we'll just have to do it. Don't talk about it. Let's just do it. Okay, so just set it up. <laughs> A, qu- a question came from Visage Monteraza from Mexico, mm. and he asks, uh, "Did you work for Guillermo del Toro?" I did. He's. Uh, I met him on Hellboy, the first Hellboy film. I sculpted Hellboy's right hand of doom, and mm. I painted it, and I did some sculpting on his torso, and just very, you know, odds and ends. I painted his horns, and. Um, uh, Guillermo, I don't know if he knew of my work or not, or if he knew of it because he met me at Rick's or what, but he became a fan of my artwork. And for a while, he was buying everything. He was buying. Oh, everything. awesome. Yeah. So he's were you in that Lachma collection? Yeah. Yeah. That was nice. cool. That was amazing. Yeah. I had, I think, three pieces in there or something. So yeah, and then I worked on Hellboy Two, where he gave me a character to de- completely design on my own, which was amazing. Where he gave n- virtually no input other than make it blend off on the actor's mouth. That was it. So I I did this character called the Chamberlain, who's in it for just like I don't know, ten seconds or something. But still, it was like I got to, it was uh, I got to design this character, and, and it looks like one of my paintings. You know, one my style of, of weird creatures wow. so uh, i did that i did the cathedral head and um what else uh, i'm sure i've done some others i think i worked with him on some other stuff i'm not sure anyway he's he's a great guy wow. great dude yeah and a collector so awesome nice you know you, know, you mentioned sculpting and um i was you know one thing I don't like see too much from you is the like, like I, I I don't see too many like sculpted like like you know like I'm I'm thinking of like kind of like the art toyish kind of thing and like you know like how like right. Sofubi and Kaiju and all this other stuff kind of like became like a big thing in the like well it's still kind of a big thing. Um, right. You know, have you thought about like diving into like that? I know you did like a kid robot Dunny a couple of years ago for mm-hmm. the designer con. Um, yeah. Uh, thing. 
Um, are, have you thought about like kind of diving into that world? Yeah, I, um, I've thought about it a lot and uh, I just, it's been a time issue more than anything. Um, and I do, I do a lot of resin uh, casts and stuff myself. Mm -hmm. Like uh, um, I, all my frames have cast corners now. Like I sculpt and cast these corners to make them customize the frame. Mm. Um, but I mean, I, it's, I, I don't know that my, my style is suited to that, that look, you know, it's a little more cartoony, which is, you know, it's cool. I like it, but it's what I would like to do is like, kind of like, uh, you know, those Ashley Wood figures he was doing the, uh, those amazing the robots, there was robots and there was like a guy with like a gas mask, dude, you mm -hmm. know, this is it's more like a realistic kind of larger dudes i would i mean it seems like that would be a little more suited to my artwork sure 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 you know? i can see that yeah you know? but but it's it's more of a time issue you know it's really about trying to i'm just trying to keep you know keep things afloat keep the keep the machine going and and it's it's hard for me to 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 give it over to someone to sculpt because it's like i've been sculpting for fucking 20 30 years or something so it's like i kind of want to sculpt it myself too Right. So, you know, and I don't, it's. Yeah. I, I, there's always like, um, obviously like, you know, like uh, as I was say, like, you know, it's like Monkey King and 3D Retro and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, companies that could handle the like production side of it all. Like, you know, taking well, it out to China, but obviously right. you have to like sacrifice a certain percentage off of that. But that's the thing. It's like one, they've never hit me up. And two, it's like, you know, I don't, I don't know how rights are. I mean, I'm not going to sell out the rights to my characters or anything like that. I don't know mm. how, how that works because these are, you know, uh, they I'm don't. Doing that, a yeah, like at least with um, I that has been an issue, especially in the early days of the art toy thing. Like, um, but like I know, like it's like with um, like like with at least with monkey king and with um, um with my dealings with monkey king and with 3d retro like there is um like contractually i allow them to have certain uh, amounts of like possession of it because they are putting the money into the production mm -hmm. of it and everything but like the artwork is i still own the copyright of the artwork like right. uh, of of the idea like that is still a copyright loop too you know that's um, cool yeah yeah but like you know I, yeah I, I mean i would definitely someday i'll do it i mean i'm, I'm working on this book actually mm -hmm. where it's um i've been working on it it's four years late i kickstarted it and it's mm -hmm. finally going to get done this year but um it, where i'm taking it's called dystopia and it's taking all the paintings i've done throughout the years and mythologizing the um the world the reality, the dimension that I'm painting, that oh, I've been painting cool. subconsciously all along without thinking it's, it was a dimension. It was just like- So they, all these creatures and characters exist within one universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So mm -hmm. so that's why I'm really like, I'm keeping the rights to all my shit. Cause it's, you know, this is, <laughs> it's like the culmination <laughs> of everything I've been doing. So um, uh, yeah. Wait, I, so what is that world? 
it's it's kind of an it's an alternate dimension that is i hope so yeah (laughs) (laughs) i was like if that's real (laughs) i mean the the my the the kind of the concept i think is it's it's kind of an alternate dimension that i'm tapping into at least that's sort of how it's presented and it's maybe the uh collective fears of humanity manifested in this other weird dimension so it's all like this kind of creepy fear realm Mm. and um you know the the way we approached it was all these paintings i've done throughout all the years i've always been just super intuitive not thinking like oh i gotta do a concept i gotta express this it's always just been about you know satisfying myself just as a painter and just thinking this is gonna look cool or let's see where this goes and just doing it that way very intuitive and so once the paintings once we started, I talked to Mike helped. Mike's a good writer. Mike Carell, the guy who directed the documentary, he's a really good writer. So he was like, okay, I'll interview you about the paintings. And then you tell me what you know about them. And then we'll, you know, get rid of the stuff that you're not sure of and just take the stuff that you know about the paintings. And then I'll, you know, categorize it all for you. And then we'll put it into like a, a guidebook format. It's like a guidebook to that universe. So you would interview me and then I would say, oh, this guy is doing this to this guy. And it was just like, I just knew it. And I never verbalized it or thought about it before. It was so weird. And then other things, it's like, I don't really know what that thing over over in this corner is. So we'll just won't talk about it for now. But um, every painting had like, like I knew something about it. And from that, we kind of distilled all this information. And it's like, there's categories and subcategories of different types of creatures and characters and like a hierarchy really interesting it's like this weird way to tap into um my subconscious you know and 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 make sense of what i've been painting and it all and it all really makes sense it's weird when did that all like come to fruition though like when were you were you surprised yeah totally i was totally surprised (laughs) yeah yeah i mean it's something that we started talking about i think or maybe 2013 when we were okay doing the documentary you know, mm. And a lot of people have told me over the years, it looks, your stuff looks like it all takes place in the same universe. And I never even thought about it. I was just painting, you know. There is a consistency to your work. Like you can spot like a Chetzar painting, you know, Thank very you. easily. Like, you know, it's <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, oh, the, and there's Chetzar. <laughs> <laughs> I've been, I've been trying to keep it that way, you know. Yeah. Do you ever get like, um, if I recall, like your father is an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and um did like uh, i i know you you brought him up before in uh like your social media and stuff um like did um you know his work was 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 definitely not your work (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) well that's a funny thing is is he was you know he was a huge fan of my work he loved it you know he was um he's into sci-fi and you know, kind of into horror a little bit. He, I was like really into horror. He was more into sci-fi, but um, he appreciated it. And, you know, he was, he was always really hands off. Both my parents were, were very supportive, but, but also they didn't want to like influence what I did and anything I did, they were like, you know, saw, appreciated it. So I was able to, you know, just love monster stuff since I was a kid without, you know, any pushback from them. So, uh, yeah, so he just did his thing and I did my thing and, and we ended up having a show together, which was really cool. Um, like a two man show. 
what's his name? Uh, James R. James R. So could people look up James R. and find his works? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, like it's fantasy. Okay. It's like uh, weird kind of metaphysical fantasy stuff, like meditating Zen monks and fairies and weird, real colorful and really cool stuff. He was a great painter. Cool. Are you, um, so like, you know, you're, you mentioned, you know, you're, you're running, you know, your business, like how, like, how are you like, you know, you only, we only, all artists generally have enough time and energy to do so many shows a year. So how, what kind of verticals are, do you have, uh, to keep, you know, you afloat? Like, uh, you have the Patreon. Yeah. It's the Patreon. It's my website. Mostly my website selling prints, canvas clays, uh, resin casts, studies. That was a big mm. one for a while. I, you know, I started doing five by seven studies for all my paintings and then selling those for like 400 bucks. And mm. it's like, I, they're so much easier to sell than the $4,000 painting. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, absolutely. So you could, I could make, you know, I could do a bunch of studies in a month and make way more than I could with, for a solo show you know and they sell right away so it was like i started doing that for a while um because you never know i had a show in australia recently and, and they sold i think only two paintings mm. um and you know it was a it was a good show people liked the work and you know i got them back and i'm able to sell them myself for full price so it's all good but you just never know that's the thing of, that's the crazy thing about trying to make a living as a gallery artist, primarily, it's, it's, it would be impossible for me. I couldn't do it. No way. Because, you know, you're putting all this time aside, creating work, and maybe it will sell. Right. You know, maybe if you're lucky <laughs> and maybe it won't sell. So, so I, that's why I started doing prints and merchandise. Cause that's what keeps me afloat. And it's like the gallery shows I do at this point, I do one a year usually, and mm -hmm. I might curate one or here and there or uh, I've been doing the Dark Art Society now. This is the second year, so but it's not like I make. I get a tiny, a little percentage. You do conjoined, right? Yeah, conjoined also. Yeah, but it's like those conjoined is this huge show, amazing, tons of people go every year. But it's like it doesn't sell that much. Right. I'm not making money from the these shows, and then I do a solo show, and it's like to me, it's like a little. It's one piece of the puzzle. One small piece is the is the gallery shows, and I do it because. You know, I think it's cool to to give people an opportunity to see the work in person, and it's great for people to gather and meet and be amongst their people. and um, And I like to support the galleries. I like to support Copro because you know, I, I, I Gary's a good guy. Yeah, Gary's a good guy. Eric is great, and they're a good gallery, so I like to yeah. support them in that way. But as far as money making goes, it's like it's it's all about the merch and the prints and 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 anything I sell myself really that's the majority of it hmm you know? that's a lot of work yeah it's a lot of work but man it beats sitting in traffic and going to that fucking <laughs> job every day no it's, it's, that it's, was it's, killing it's me like oh. <laughs> <laughs> an hour in traffic every day oh my god that was that's that was like one of the reasons I wanted to leave the business it was just like I can't deal with sitting yeah. in traffic no, the, the the commute is a motherfucker. Yeah, especially like uh, like I I don't know. I've never done I've I've 
know, back in the day, um, <laughs> I, um, <laughs> when I first moved to Los Angeles, I did I did background work um, mm -hmm. for like television for for television shows, specifically one show called Sucker Free City, and like the hours that you had to keep in order to do that, and the kinds of people that you're surrounded with are just so fucking miserable and mm -hmm. terrible. <laughs> and, it's, and, and, and it's just kind of like you know what like i have no idea how people do this shit but fucking fuck this and um well i was know, fucking um, institutionalized i started it at a young age right at high school so it was all i knew so when i decided to be a fine artist i was just like how am i gonna get out of this because it's a good paying job effects mm-hmm Right. And you had a family. You have yeah, a family. and I had a family and everything, and, and a mortgage. And, mm -hmm. and that's the, I mean, you know, Clyde Barker is, is, was a big reason I did it, but, you know, I got to give credit to my wife, who was, you know, we had just bought the house. We had kids. We were supporting other people's kids who would come and stay, their friends who would stay over. I was the kind of the sole provider, and I was like, okay, I'm going to be a fine artist now. And she was <laughs> totally cool with it. You know, she believed in me and supported me. So it's like, I got to give her, you know, more credit than anybody even. And my, you know, my parents were also really supportive. So, um, yeah, yeah. And I, anyway, I was like at that, when I decided I was going to do it, I just, it just seemed impossible to get out of that. Like I was, that's all I'd known. It's like, how am I going to do this? But I just kept trying different things and I kept showing it cannibal flower and I kept, mm -hmm trying to learn as much as I could and ask questions and figure out ways, different ways of earning money doing it. And um, yeah, when I finally got out, it was like, I can't believe I did it. It took me like 10 years <laughs> when I fucking did it. And I don't yeah. have to, you know, go to a job anymore. I mean, I'm, I'm working way more than I worked in effects. Like I'm working seven days a week now, mm -hmm. but I can make my own hours. It's, I feel like everything I'm doing is contributing to my future Whereas effects, it was like, you know, what am I getting out of this? I already have a portfolio. I don't even, I could get work without a portfolio at this point. I could just say, I worked on all these movies and I did this and this effect. Mm -hmm. And, you know, before that, you're like, you're always trying to build your portfolio for the next job or for the next gig. And, mm -hmm. and, and, uh, you know, after a certain point, it's like, you just feel like you're spinning your wheels and it's like, why am I, why am I doing this? This isn't really that fun anymore. And, mm -hmm. You know, but now it's like I have to work twice as hard for half as much money, probably. <laughs> and but but I have you know my freedom and I can do whatever I want. And it's like my I succeed or fail on my own, you know, by my own volition. So do you still get hit up for work in um, the the effects industry? Uh, once or in a while, like, it's yeah. yeah. I mean, I kind of at first I was I kind of put it out there that I didn't really want to go back. So I didn't get a lot, but you know, I got, I worked on a movie called Mama. I did some, uh, it was a Guillermo del Toro produced movie. Um, I worked on something called Priest. I do things here and there once in a while. If Guillermo were to hit me up, I would, you know, probably work on something, something that he's doing because he always does cool stuff. I did a movie called Bliss actually, which was this indie horror movie uh, about an artist that, takes this crazy drug and turns into like a vampire <laughs> demon thing and she's painting 
<laughs> they, they, she's she's an artist and she's painting like a giant painting throughout the the movie and at the end it's like you know when the end happens she paints this final painting and it's this kind of big evil painting and i did that um as a side gig on my own and i got um a title credit on the front which is the first wow. time i ever got that in a movie all those years in effects i was always like on the crew below craft services <laughs> below the gaffers and electricians it's like we get these little credits you know uh, as one cog in the wheel and it's like i did this indie cool art like weird indie art horror exploitation film and i got a, an upfront credit for the first time wow. in my life it was so cool so i said like artwork by chet czar yeah 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 it's like painting Ooh, cool. you know whatever desi's painting by chet czar i think that's what it said yeah which is wow so now I have to see it. Like, yeah, it's yeah. it's worth seeing. It's really. Did you see uh, Mandy? That Nicolas Cage, psychedelic, super weird. I never saw that. Okay, that's a good one. That's that's a trip. Mandy. Yeah, uh, it's it's similar in that way. It's very um, weird colors, really psychedelic, really super violent. Um, it's worth seeing. It's, it's all in LA. It takes place in LA, so it's cool. You see, like the really nasty, gritty side of LA. Um, when yeah. was it? What, when was it uh, filmed? Uh, I think it was like a couple years ago. Okay, so it's a relatively newer movie. Oh, yeah, so this yeah, is yeah. like oh, okay. Late, late. The uh, anything Nicolas Cage of late is going to be a little bit weird, right? Uh, did you see the well, Mandy was Mandy's uh, Nicholas Cage isn't in this one, but Mandy. oh, he's not in Nicholas. Okay. No, no, it's, I'm just saying it's like they I kind of have a similar color palette and a vibe. Oh, I gotcha. But uh, Mandy was a couple of years before that. <clears throat> I gotcha. But no, I, I I saw. Is that real? That jujitsu? I I think saw like a, a picture, <laughs> and I was like, "Did someone just make this as a joke?" <laughs> it, it, it looks like a fucking joke. It looks so bad. Like I I was like, "Oh, Nicolas Cage, Jujitsu." Okay, I got I got to fucking see what this is, the fuck this is all about. And I watched it, and I was like, "What the fuck is this? This is terrible." Like it's like a deep fake fucking like like like. Did you see the trailer for Fat Man? No. Have you, Eric? Have you seen the trailer? Oh my God! It's um, what's his name? Uh, freaking um, Mel Gibson. Uh, it's a Mel Gibson film, and mm -hmm. um, basically Mel Gibson. Uh, it's a it's an action kind of drama, and, and Mel Gibson basically plays Santa Claus. And like, there's a kid who gets coal, and he hi and he calls up, I guess, one of his like family hitmen. And like the the hitman's trying to kill Santa Claus for you know giving the kid coal, and it's crazy. It looks fake, but that at the same time <laughs> it looks fucking it looks real and it looks kind of amazing. But Jujutsu is it's like a really bad Matrix meets Predator. Oh my god! And the, well, <laughs> he, he must have you know. He's got, and it looks like pay, it's funded by the Chinese too, because it's like got a bunch of like Chinese right. actors in there, and right. I don't know. It's well, it's like a who's it? John Carradine. Do you remember John Carradine? He's, he used to be in like, he was in these old horror movies in like the fifties and sixties, like an old time actor, mm -hmm. and in the seventies, like late sixties and seventies, he was really old, but he had so many ex wives and so much alimony. That he had to be in every movie that would pay him. 
So he is in the <laughs> shittiest movies ever made, like the worst bottom of the barrel. He used to be like a respected actor, but it was like he had to he had to come up with the money because he had like six ex-wives or something. So it was kind of known wow. that he was just he would take these. And I'm sure, you know, that's probably the case with Nicolas Cage. I heard he's got he had financial problems. And it's like you got to you got to do who's whoever's paying the money, you know. Yeah, you gotta you gotta job. take the dub. <laughs> oh man, that's uh, that's that's, that's a crying shame. You know? Yeah, but, it, is. Uh, it is. Whatever. He he whatever. went from a list to weird movie man. Yeah, <laughs> anything <laughs> anything you offer me. Mm. But you gotta see Mandy. Mandy is a cool movie. Mandy's Mandy, cool movie, like yeah. M A N D Y. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Bliss too. Bliss is cool. Bliss. Mm. So yeah. what what have you got coming up, man? Are you do 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 you still do do designer con? uh not since they moved mm. orange that's just too i got too spoiled being you know pasadena is like 15 minutes from me right and and i just was like you know i'm too old to drive back from san you know orange county anaheim at night after a show and i don't want to pay for the room and basically i'm just getting too old but um <laughs> so i stopped doing um uh, mm-hmm. But I do Monster Palooza, but that's not happening, so mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. But um, at this point, but I'm just working on this book. I'm doing the podcast and trying to just you know finish commissions, basically trying to get my shit together this year mm-hmm. so that I can not be so stressed next year. It's yeah. not going to happen. once i get that man once i get this book done this book has been like a a, a serious problem for four years i've been stressing about it oh because it was a kickstarter and yeah funded and yeah so so you have do you have any angry people they're like where's the book you know there's been are they do they understand people have been really cool i mean there's been a couple of total fucking assholes who i will never forgive but i forgot their names unfortunately (laughs) but um if i remember their names i will never sell them anything but (laughs) really it's been like five people maybe and it was you know we funded it with it was over two kickstarters so it was like 900 people or something and everyone's being super cool right Um, so i'm very grateful and appreciative i give updates you know every month or couple months here's your update right now on robot that's right and i talk it's like i'm not hiding from it i talk about it on on my podcast about how i'm trying and it's just a got it a hand you know i I said it would be done we did it in i said it would be done like in six months because i had no idea how long (laughs) it takes to make a book and i didn't have a clear vision of the book at the time and i and it's like once you get behind on something like that it's like, and then you got to pay the bills and keep working. It just keeps getting, you know, I'd start to work on it and then I'd have to pay bills. So it's like, I'd have to earn some money and then I'd have to stop and then I'd have to start back up. And I finally, you know, this year I um, didn't have to hustle so hard because I got this deal with these tool posters, which were l- really lucrative on the secondary market. So that's been keeping me afloat. So I don't have to keep hustling, right you now. And I'm able to, and I got a mock-up to, of the book done and I sent it to the graphic designer and I paid her her down payment and it's all happening finally. So, oh my God, I'm going to have a fucking party when it's done. That's great. I was yeah. losing sleep for a while. I was so stressed about it. I felt so bad about it. And then I was finally just like, I can't, I'm going to die. I'm going to have a heart attack if I keep worrying about this. I'm just going to do my best. 
you know. Well, hopefully, when it comes out, it'll the well, we'll have put the pandemic behind us, and you can actually yeah. have like a yeah book signing or something. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, because that would be um, you know, great. Like you know, I'm, I'm now I'm looking forward to seeing the book. You know, books are. I, I always kind of have like weird feelings about books these days. Like well, not a I, money like, maker, that's for sure. <laughs> money maker. <laughs> no, like I, I, I always like imagined that like the day I had like a book available, like my world will have changed, and it didn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, the only thing that changes is you, is you have less space in your garage because it's full of books. <laughs> you take up a lot of space. Are you yeah, still publishing the entire thing, or and self-distributing? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's all it's like I'm basically making the book for the people that paid for them through the Kickstarters, and then I'm ordering extra just to have to sell the people that weren't around during the Kickstarter. Mm. But it's like there's there's Alex Gray told me the he you know that I don't know you know Alex Gray the, the you know the psychedelic visionary artist who does the he's like the biggest living visionary artist. He did all the, did a bunch of stuff for Tool. He does the people that are like veins and light shooting out of them. Oh, okay. and yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know his work here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a book um, that came out in like 1990 or something. And it's like a big book. I bought it at, at Wacko when it came out, I think. And he, and it was like a huge book. Everybody I knew had that book. And it was, you saw it everywhere. And he was saying like, he did it through a publisher and he was like, you know, I make a dollar a book or something. It's like, you don't make money off books. It's not why you do it. You do it. The only way you can make money is like what I did is you can have a Kickstarter and then sell it directly to people that want to see it. And and that's how you make the money. It's not, you know. Yeah, that's still, I, uh, when I, I had my book come out in 2012, I think mm. it was. And um, uh, yeah, like I never got a check from it. Like, right. Not even a penny. And, yep. <laughs> and I, I had to buy my own books at wholesale and sell them. And that's how I made even like wow. a little bit yeah. off of it. So, you know. Yeah, you know, you know. that's basically same, same, same with my, my first book, my art book, uh, Black mm-hmm. Magic. Yeah. But um, that company went out of business and they actually sold me their stock. Oh, really? Of the books for a really good price, actually. And uh, they're allowing me to do payments on it. So it's not like I'd have to give them a chunk, but so now my garage is full of books, but they sell consistently. It's just, you know, two a week or something. It's not like you're going to make a bunch of money from that. And I have them for conventions and stuff. Have you thought about doing Pop Shop Live? What's Pop Shop Live? Eric. (laughs) (laughs) Just you could sell it live online. (laughs) Basically, it's like streaming and selling. Mm. and um like the home shopping club it's yeah, like, like that qvc and indie. um and but, but like what's nice about it is through pop shop live they the, you know people who buy pay a um a flat shipping fee and so like you know the thing that usually kills people especially when you're selling books is the shipping fee right you know and so like people pay 5.99 for shipping and like pop shop provides you with a shipping label and you could sell a lot more of, oh, that's cool. of heavy stuff. Um, and since, you know, like you do a lot of like, like, you know, like prints and like collectibles and books and stuff like that. So it's a great, you know, 
venue to actually that's how uh designer con is going to be this year apparently oh wow yeah they're doing all because they're not like going to be doing a physical venue everything like all these different artists are going to be streaming at once and people could just jump from like stream to stream to stream apparently yeah oh, cool you know and buy stuff so we'll see how yeah. that goes it'll be uh it'll be interesting yeah i it's like my my, my art is so specific i'm like literally that that i you know my art doesn't really sell to a kind of a normal audience <laughs> it's a little too you know i remember when we first were showing mm -hmm. together it's like my stuff was always like the darkest on the very edge of what they would let <laughs> kind of what was acceptable and i always had to explain myself and justify what i was doing it's like your stuff had a dark edge to it but you had a cute edge to it too, which made it like a little more palatable, I think. Mm -hmm. And I had no cuteness in mind at all. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm all, I'm all about like, I'm like a niche guy, you know, I got to find those right people. Cause there's the people are there that are into it, but it's not like a mainstream. It's a little less mainstream. I think maybe, I don't know. Mm. I was yeah, going to say, I, I was going to say uh, one thing I wanted to say, I, I kept forgetting is, do you remember how exciting it was in the early days of Cannibal Flower? I mean, I don't know yeah. if you felt that way, but I remember oh. thinking, oh yeah. my God, this is amazing. There's an art scene. Like I, prior to that, that's why I never pursued fine art is because there was nowhere to really show cool art that I knew of. The early 2000s in Los Angeles were insane. It was they so were exciting. It was so fucking exciting. insane. Like, like, and I remember like like when I first moved to Los Angeles, there was basically like three, you know, main galleries, Copro Gallery, Mary Karnowski, mm -hmm. Lopez de Jesus, mm -hmm. you know, and then like Giant Robot came around. Yeah. Um, uh, Gallery 1988 came around. Um, Pink Space came around. And then some, and on top of that, that there was like, dozens of like artists saying fuck 50 percent commission i'm going to open up my own gallery yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they tried that and said yeah. oh i see why yeah. they take 50 percent commission yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know and this is um, way harder than being an artist it is like i don't I, I like you've curated shows i've curated shows it is not easy no it is no. not fucking easy and it's and, not fun either yeah exactly <laughs> it was, yeah it is not fun like it seems like this great romantic idea like oh i'm going to like bring all my friends together put a show on no. and then like you realize like wow my friend is a jackass <laughs> <laughs> my friends are all as disorganized as i am i am <laughs> <laughs> they're sending the wrong they're not sending all the information yeah you know you, 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 you send them one invitation and you know what they are not going to remember you send them, you send them an invitation half a year ahead of time and like unless you check up on them like yeah. at least two months before the show you know giving them a, a window of opportunity to actually create the five paintings that you know you need them to create exactly. like they are not going to fucking remember and you can't say anything because we're the same way too it's like or at least i've been that i've always tried to be as you know professional as possible but you know, I've done that to people. Oh. I've done stuff where I sent the image and forgot to send the price. Uh, you know, anything mm -hmm. like that, 
where you have to email an artist again to get some extra bit of information times that times 40 and it's a fucking disaster nightmare it's such a hassle people don't realize or the artists have put the art with a glass frame into a box with no padding and just <laughs> yeah. it's gonna get there this side up yeah. fragile you write fragile on the box and it's like comes ruined oh, you know yeah. and i'm like oh yeah not even no, not no pad sculptures yeah. man sculptures oh yeah join. We, oh, always... we, we get that too we get at least one or two broken pieces every yeah, year. But, but sometimes it's I look at I'm like, whoa, no padding. Like it's mm -hmm. just in the box, and yeah. I'm like, that's it. Yeah, it's like I'm like, oh. We had like, we had a, a package show up that was that was literally it was all broken apart and it was loose in a box, and they said they paid UPS or the UPS store to pack it for them because they wanted to oh, do a really good wow. job, and they basically just threw it in a, a box with some peanuts or something. Crazy. Oh my God! Yeah, that is awful. <laughs> it is. Awful. <laughs> they don't know anything. Yeah. But I do encourage artists to go out there and curate shows. You know, yeah, yeah, to, get, to, get a look at the other side of it like, for sure. Yeah, it, it's it's not it is not it's not easy. It, yep. it is not easy, and um, you know, and like I I can't even imagine what it's like on the the gallery side because like the gallery is. Like they've got this window open, you know, and now they're relying on the artist and, <laughs> you know. Are you really sending it? Are you sending it? <laughs> Did it get sent? You didn't send it yet? Can I show uh, up the day of the show and yeah, bring my oh. piece in? Oh, wait, it's 5 p.m. You're not here yet? <laughs> like, I'm in oh, and then, and then they start ghosting you. They ghost yeah. you. Until... <laughs> wait, you're in another country? <laughs> You know yeah, exactly. I've had yep, that. Yep. Or uh, wait, wait. It's not happening. There's no show tomorrow because you're now in another country. <laughs> uh, oh man. Like I'm like. Yeah. That when, when was, wait. When did that happen to you, Eric? Not quite another country. Another city. Yeah. Oh. But uh, yeah. There's no show. Like, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's happened. <laughs> and, and it's happened where uh, the show, uh, all the people are there, and there's no art on the wall. I've had that. Oh happen. my God. Wow. Where all of a sudden it's like 8 30 PM. The artist comes with her stuff. And I was like, Oh, let's put this up right now, you know? And yeah. Hustled it and made it work. But it was like, uh, I've done that one. <laughs> <laughs> See? See what I mean? Life happens. We're guilty. Yep. I have definitely done that once. It was probably one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. Um, yeah. Like I was in the back of a gallery crying for freaking like hours afterwards. <laughs> really hopped up on fucking drugs and oh my god, fucking mess. But like, like a yeah. nightmare. Yep, it happens. Yeah, yeah. Chet, <laughs> I know you got to run soon. So how can yeah. people find you? Um, you can go to well, my website's being built, but it's if you go to chetzar.com, C-H-E-T-Z-A-R, that has a link to my web store where all my merch is sold. On Instagram, I'm at chetzar. On Patreon, which is the best place to find me, if you can afford a dollar. Help get your the chat to 140. You can yes. do. It. You guys can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Patreon is uh, Patreon.com/slash/ChetZar, and we have a Dark Art Society Patreon, which is Patreon.com/slash/DarkArtSociety, and I think that's it, right? Yeah, that's pretty much everywhere I'm, I am. I'm pretty easy to find. Nice. Yeah. Are, it's not a it's not like a common name that like everyone has yeah yeah it's it's that's it's a weird one 
Thank you so much for Thank you. coming yeah. on out and uh, doing the podcast. It was great having you. Thanks, you know, man. I had a like, blast. And like, I had no idea like how long you were like, you know, in the in the movie industry stuff. Because like, you know, when we did your podcast, like the last person we were talking about is you. So I... <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the hot seat. And thank you so much for thank being you. a good sport. Wow. Yeah, it's a good, you know, great uh, hanging out. Uh, keep keep doing it. And yeah, talk, talk to me about Patreon. I'm telling you. Patreon. No, okay. no. I'm, if you have any like, questions, hit me up. Yeah, well, you okay. know, we're, we don't live too far apart. I, I would yeah. love to hopefully, like, you know, catch up, you know, one of these days. And I definitely want to, like, you know, pick your brain about that again, sure. too. So. I'll show you my, my high school uh, makeup effects portfolio. I still have it. Oh, wow. fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can live stream that shit on the fucking, yeah. on, on, uh, on you call it? No, put it on the Patreon yeah, page. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna put it on my Patreon now that you mentioned yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yep. Members only, man. Yep. Members right. only. Only fans. <laughs> yeah. All right. All thanks right. a lot, Chad. All Thank right. you so Thank much, you. man. Have a good Thank day, Dan. Have a good rest of your week. Yeah, you too. Take it easy. See ya.